the belief from from Trump fundraisers and how they've kind of communicated this privately is that if you're not on the train uh, by February 16th, Trump will notice. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, January 19th. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer to talk about the Donald Trump money train, which is raking in the big bucks in the wake of Trump's huge victory in Iowa. As Teddy explains, Trump's fundraising team is now telling GOP donors who gave to Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and others that now is the time to get on board or risk Trump's vengeance as he coasts to the Republican nomination. And later, Bill Cohan joins Ben to discuss the latest media M&A theory titillating Wall Street. Would David Zaslov do a deal with Rupert Murdoch? We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer, our money man, to talk about Republican donors kissing the ring in Mar-a-Lago. Teddy, welcome to the show. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, You have a piece up on Puck this week. Nice little scoop that came out on uh, Tuesday about a fundraiser, a reception in Mar-a-Lago on February 16th, which, you know, theoretically looks like every other Trump fundraiser. Uh, Tickets range from $1,000 to $100,000. Donors at the highest level get access to a private roundtable, VIP reception, and of course, that Trump photo op. That means a thumbs up for uh, Trump and his donors, presumably, for that photo op. But Teddy, what's different about this fundraiser coming in the wake of Trump's big old win in the Iowa caucuses over Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley? Two darlings of the donor class. Peter, if you were backing one of those candidates over the last 12 months, this event on February 16th is your chance of penance. It's your chance <laughs> to you know, donate $1,000, $100,000, $100 $100,000,000, whatever the, uh, uh, however the mood strikes you, uh, at least as much as you can under FEC limits, and get back on Trump's good side. This event at Mar-a-Lago uh, is going to be Presumably, if Trump has his way, coming at a time when the Republican primary is over, maybe not technically, but basically. And the belief from from Trump fundraisers and how they've kind of communicated this privately is that if you're not on the train uh, by February 16th, Trump will notice. And it's not (laughs) as if, like, you know, he's not going to take the uh, $100,000 on February 17th or on February 18th, or, you know, if, if you really screw this one up, you can uh, donate to the inaugural committee uh, next December. There are plenty of chances to always kind of give Trump uh, money. But the way that Trump is positioning this is that the primary is over. It'll certainly be over by February 16th, and it's time to get on, on the Trump train. And this event is sort of an ultimatum. Be there or be square. You have a quote from Ed McMullen, a longtime Trump fundraiser going back to 2016, who was the ambassador to Switzerland. Hampton, Sydney guy, Charleston, South Carolina resident, friend of the show, presumably. Um, Ed says in your piece, 
This is a quote. I've never had the experience of people reaching out in such large numbers to do a mea culpa and say, how mm. can I support the president? When they see a historic victory like in Iowa, there is a huge number of people who say, look, now is the time to do a reality check. Throughout the Republican primary, there have been donors lining up behind DeSantis and Tim Scott and Mike Pence and trying to root for Glenn Youngkin to get in the race. And it seemed like they were, you know, placing a bet that Trump wouldn't be president and they wanted to get in mm -hmm. with the future Republican nominee. Uh, now that it's pretty clear Trump is going to be the nominee, like what is the impulse of these givers? Like, are they, do they just want to get invited to the cool parties? Do they have business interests that would be influenced by a potential Trump presidency? Like, take me inside the mind of these people. Like, why would they go all in behind Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis and then come back around to Donald Trump? Well, look, we, we, we don't have to guess. We saw this uh, in the second half of 2016 or the first half of 2017, where if, if you believed that the Republican Party was moving on from Trump and there was another opportunity to uh, you know, get behind somebody else and your belief was uh, rudely interrupted by the voters of Iowa, uh, <laughs> You have to concede that Trump is the Republican nominee and is the leader of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. And if you are a Republican and you are a Republican involved in politics, not to buy the uh, Trump campaign line, but there are two options here. Uh, there is supporting, I guess there are three options. There is supporting Donald Trump. There is supporting Joe Biden, or there is being irrelevant in Republican politics. Take your pick. Uh, and so what Republican donors decided uh, in, in the second half of 2016, or, or certainly maybe by the first half of 2017, when the, the guy they hated, uh, you know, the bad, bad orange man was president of the United States, they want to be relevant. Take someone like, like Paul Singer, a uh, big Republican donor, kind of the leader of the anti-Trump movement during the Republican primary. You know, by early uh, 17, you know, he was trying to be, you know, close with the Trump administration. Because at the end of the day, like, if you're involved in politics— there are two sides and uh, your, your choices are limited. So um, I, I expect this, this ultimatum to work broadly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, you know, obviously, I think there'll be some people who will maintain the illusion that, you know, maybe Trump's convicted and then they can kind of sneak Glenn Youngkin in through the side door or something like that. But, but the reality is this is the, this is the nominee and um, the, the choices are, are kind of obvious. So I think that the Mar-a-Lago event will successfully get lots of these people to come back to the Trump fold. The timing of this is also smart um, for Trump's fundraising mm -hmm. team. We have the New Hampshire primary coming up on Tuesday. There's a slight chance Nikki Haley could win, but Donald Trump is likely to win. Mm -hmm. Then we have basically a month until South Carolina. Nevada is, is holding primary and a caucus. Nikki Haley has decided to only play in the primary um, yeah. But the caucus, which is run by Trump people, is what's going to be allocating delegates. So, you know, Trump basically guaranteed to pick up 26 delegates in Nevada. And so this event's on February 16th. It's in this lag between New Hampshire and the slog to South Carolina. And that just seems like Trump is going to use that opportunity to raise a shit ton of money and to, you know, use the relative, I say relative, it's still busy, but the relative downtime to make sure everyone is on board from donors to, you know, the Republican establishment in Washington. Um, and and you know, I, I just guarantee he's going to raise a lot of money in that window. Do you agree? 
Look, by, by that point, uh, if it is not obvious to Republican donors that he is likely to be the nominee, then Trump has other issues. Um, you know, February 16th is after New Hampshire. Um, it, it is at a point when um, Trump thinks it should be obvious, and uh, it probably will be by that point. You also write about a bunch of establishment Republican donors, establishment leaning at least, who maybe were supporting Christie or other candidates. Now they're kind of getting behind Haley. They're having a big fundraising event on January 30th with mm-hmm. the likes of Spencer Zwick and Ken Langone and Ken Melman and Campbell Brown, Go Tigers. Like what, what happens to those types, you know, who maybe they were giving some money to the Coke network, or maybe they were pitching into yeah. DeSantis or Haley, you know, hoping that they could finally derail Donald Trump. I mean, th- those, th- these are the kinds of names I think that we're expecting they were never going to be in Trump's inner circle and quite frankly, don't want to go to Mar-a-Lago. Don't give a shit. They just don't want Trump to be in the Republican party anymore. So what do those people do with all of their bucks between now and November? Do they help Biden? Do they fund no mm-hmm. labels? Do they fund never Trump stuff? Do they just like sit back and say, man, this party's gone forever. We're just not going to pitch anything in. Yeah. I mean, so Haley has uh, 15 fundraisers, I think, between uh, January 29th and like February 15th or so hmm. um, in, in Florida, in New York, in Texas. And she's an event in South Carolina, kind of around the time of the primary. Just kind of interesting. She's kind of already, th- these events have kind of been planned for maybe a week or two weeks now. So she's been looking kind of pretty deep into the calendar. That's a time of the year when she is hoping that she wins New Hampshire. And then there is a spurt of kind of uh, momentum, as misplaced as it may be, or, you know, that somehow she can win this thing and she'll need all the money she can get. But I think the the ultimate kind of conclusion these people will reach uh, is, is that no labels, I think, will be the place that lots of the money goes to. Um, I feel like they are the they are the winners of, of the Republican primary. You know, if Nikki Haley were the Republican nominee, no labels is intimated that they would not be uh, out there running a third-party independent campaign. But if she's not the nominee, No Labels is going to be very successful. I think third party is obviously going to be a huge storyline of the fall if it's Trump Mm -hmm. versus Biden. And um, they will need a ton of money as well. And I think that a lot of the people that you're seeing on the Nikki Haley fundraiser invitations will be supporting some sort of third-party bid. I could even see some of these people supporting RFK. There is, uh, if, if you are a Nikki Haley donor, um, you are certainly uh, not excited about Donald Trump, and you might you might give into it if you absolutely have to. But luckily for them, there are going to be some kind of third parties that are going to take off. And I know this sort of contradicts what I said earlier, right? Where I said like you know there's two options in town, um, and it's Trump or Biden, and you know come to Mar-a-Lago or else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no labels is sort of the X factor, um, and and you know they're making plans to to run this third party campaign. Um, they clearly can see that Trump is likely to be the nominee as well. And, you know, they're out there right now trying to get in as many states as possible. Um, you know, they had a press event today where they're going after the state of Delaware for being too unfriendly to them. Like they are going to be a huge story right now, a huge story uh, in, in the spring. We'll see kind of think who they end up nominating. You know, could it be someone like Nikki Haley? Could it be Nikki Haley herself? Could it be, you know, some uh, kind of moderate Republican that would um, uh, make Ken Langone smile? That's that's where I think uh, Republican donors could could end up. Uh, if it ends up being Biden versus Trump. Yeah, the the Nikki Haley as a no labels candidate conversation has really only kind of bubbled up in the last few weeks, but it is intriguing more so than Larry Hogan or Chris Christie or Joe Manchin. Like all of those people want to be liked by polite society. Nikki Haley does too. 
but like it, it feels like they're sort of beholden to uh, the Washington cocktail party circuit in a way that Nikki Haley is just not. I mean, she her time in the Republican Party has more or less passed. She certainly has no friends among Democrats or at the White House, right? Like Joe Joe Biden is eventually going to get Joe Manchin not to run. Like it's just I just have no faith Joe Manchin will actually take the plunge. But like Nikki Haley mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to lose, you know? <laughs> like she doesn't have a, like she's got donors. She has sort right. of different people within the Republican apparatus who like her, uh, and she's got clearly some voters out there saying we like you better than the other options but she's like institutionally she doesn't have the same kind of connections to either party that some of the other no labels names um that have been floated do have right her 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 team said today that um she's not interested in running on no labels ticket for what that's worth i'm sure that's always true until it's not but from from a fundraising angle peter i've been very interested in no labels because they um right now are trying to raise all this money to do ballot access and obviously, if they do kind of uh, run a candidate, they're going to need to raise a tremendous amount of money, you know, just to make this person competitive. Um, and they recently unveiled plans for a super PAC that is sort of getting running um, over the last week or so. But there's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue that I've heard about with the no labels candidate, where obviously we don't know who they're going to run, and donors can't really commit to backing some, you know, vague anonymous candidate. Like, you know, is it? Mm-hmm. The Rock? Is it Larry Hogan? Like, you know, it really depends on that really that really influences who whom whether or not you would donate or not. But it's chicken and egg because if you're a candidate, you want to know there's gonna be money behind you, and you don't really know if there's money behind you until it's public that you're the candidate, but you're not gonna be the candidate until you know we know how the Republican primary shakes out. So March is gonna be a very interesting month to see whether or not donors and candidates can kind of, you know, have a have a hive mind and uh, find somebody who can get donors excited enough and is willing to kind of run because lots of these Republicans who have been rumored to be possible to label candidates don't really seem to want to do it, which is interesting. Teddy, thanks so much, man. Have a great weekend. You bet. When we come back, Bill Cohan is here to talk about Zaz and Rupert. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy here with the man, the myth, the legend, Bill Cohan. Nice to see you as always. Thank you, Ben. Nice to see you too. Always great to be here with you. So Bill, obviously you and Matt and Dylan have been reporting obsessively for months on where we all think the entertainment industry is headed over this next year or so. Um, Obviously, a potential deal between Comcast and Warner Brothers Discovery is one thing that you've written about a lot. David Zaslav is also potentially taking a look at some of the other smaller players that are out there, including Paramount. There was famously this lunch meeting between him and Bob Backish that was leaked to the press. And then semi-recently, in comes uh, Michael Nathanson, the analyst at Moffat Nathanson, with this pretty wild sort of alternate theory for how the media landscape could shake out in the coming year or so, where maybe WBD ends up actually going out and buying a bunch of Rupert Murdoch's non-Fox News assets instead of some other kind of deal that might be out there in the offing. So this is really interesting and, and was surprising to me. But Bill, give me the sort of basic rundown on how this would shake out. What, what is the, the Nathanson theory of the, uh, the Murdoch case? So, first of all, with the caveat that this is as best as I can piece together from my 
uh, Wall Street sources because Michael didn't want to share the report with me. Uh, I think he's written two uh, reports recently about about this uh, topic or idea, uh, which he's been pushing, which is, uh, you know, again, is is, uh, as long shoddy as anything else, but sort of a creative idea, which is that, you know, you'll remember about a year or so ago, Ben, that um, the Murdochs wanted to merge their two public companies, uh, Fox Corp and News Corp. Right. Fox Corp is what was left uh, after they sold all these uh, Hollywood Fox assets for like $72 billion, $71 billion to Disney. Uh, and so what's left in Fox Corp is uh, uh, Fox News, Fox Business, Fox Sports, uh, you know, something called Fox Entertainment, uh, which is, I guess, shows that they produce for other people and um, Tableau or some Tabli or some crazy... Uh, <laughs> Tubi. D- d- Tubi, Tubi, Bill. <laughs> Tubi. To be that uh, now I've never heard of that. Well, but, let's, uh, let's not be too dismissive. To be is is a, is a uh, to be or a, not to be. That's the question. <laughs> it yeah. is a fast growing, fast mm. service uh, that is ah. uh, free ad supported TV. Um, apparently, they have seventy five million is it active like free users. V? This, this is their version of free. Yeah, v? yeah. It's, yes, exactly. It's another one of those services, and, and apparently, it's it's relatively popular. I don't know if it's mm. okay. profitable, but I know that it's considered to be. Uh, a jewel among these various Fox assets. You know, I'm a I'm a cord guy, Ben. I'm a streaming guy. I'm not a I'm not a freebie guy, uh, not yet anyway. So uh, <laughs> so that's all sort of tucked into to, to Fox Corp. And then, of course, over in News Corp, the other uh, public entity that the Murdochs control is the Wall Street Journal, Harper Collins, uh, and 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 uh, other uh, you know publications, barons, and things like that. So um, I think, you know, they tried to merge those two. The non-Murdoch minority shareholders, uh, the non-Murdoch, you know, Murdoch controls about 40% of the voting uh, of each of these companies, uh, you know, just for whatever reason hated the idea of this combination. Uh, And so, uh, you know, essentially a year ago, Murdoch said, you know, forget it, Uh, you know, we won't do it. Uh, and so they, they didn't do it, but obviously, uh, you know, Michael Nathanson and others have thought that, you know, that they did that for a reason because they wanted to do it. So if they still wanted to do it, and pr- presumably the impetus behind that was to somehow, you know, marry the, the Journal and the New York Post uh, and Barron's, you know, with, with, you know, with Fox News and Fox Business and and. Uh, you know that whole uh, uh, empire. That that the idea, as best as I understand it, uh, it would be that Zaz uh, at WBD would pick up Fox Sports uh, and Fox Entertainment, and there's also uh, uh, 29 uh, uh, Fox-affiliated local television stations uh, in Fox Corp. Uh, but that Zaz would pick up Tubi, Fox Entertainment, and Fox Sports. Uh, and uh, somehow the you know if he were to do that at some valuation and it's hard to know exactly what the PL of those businesses look like from the public uh, filings uh, that the rest of it could then be merged with uh, a News Corp and they uh, the Murdochs could uh, have one company that they control uh, just like the, the Red Sherry Redstones d- decided to merge CBS and Viacom. To create Paramount Global because she felt that there didn't need to be 
to publicly traded companies, even though that has not worked out particularly well, as we uh, as we know. So uh, the question is, you know, the, the, you know, if Zaz can't pull off uh, the NBCU uh, deal, which was, you know, probably still number one, but for any number of reasons, maybe a, a tough uh, putt. Uh, and you know, he's not going to do Paramount. That's to me a big head fake. Uh, you know, a constellation, another constellation prize could potentially be, you know, these assets out of Fox, which would enable the Murdochs to merge what's left again with News Corp. Yeah, it's totally an interesting idea while we're just sort of in the realm of the the hypothetical, which uh, we're, we're plenty comfortable being there. Yeah, um, right. Love it. I mean, I, 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 I guess, you know, it's all sort of just depends on the, the price, right? But to your mind, would something like this be a better deal for the Murdochs or for Zaslov? Because Fox Sports is a declining, uh, uh, presumably mostly linear business, but it does make some sense maybe for the WBD portfolio as they've been doing more with live sports. You know, they have their their Bleacher Report add-on that they're doing now for streaming. And then Tubi, again, you know, it's a pretty big service. It's growing. They could also fold that into Max as a, um, a completely free ad-supported tier as an additional tier for an even lower price. But what do the Murdochs get out of this beyond just um, collecting another check as the empire gets smaller? Well, first of all, in November, Michael Nathanson wrote that, you know, he actually thinks Fox Corp has weathered the decline in linear TV and the various streaming wars, uh, et cetera, better than than its competitors and actually is in a strong position. Uh, so that must sort of form the basis of, you know, his idea that they would probably be doing this out of strength if they are relative strength, if they were to do it. Uh, our friend Rich Greenfield over at uh, Lightshed uh, Partners, uh, you know, when I ran this uh, by him, uh, frankly thought it was a joke. Uh, I don't think, he, th- he doesn't think any of these deals are going to happen. And of course, Rich could very well be right. Uh, he doesn't think this would no, happen. I, I saw Rich was trolling uh, you and Matt on Twitter saying that, you know, Puck is predicting all these deals that are just yeah. totally not going to happen in 2024. He, he is very negative on the M&A market next year. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I mean, and he, he, he had a podcast, you know, on Thursday where he where he where he talked about that. Uh, he, he could very well be, be right. I mean, I think there are, uh, you know, a lot of impediments here to, to deals. They're, again, they're very fun to speculate about. And um, I really enjoy that as a former M&A guy. But I do have I do have to say that I'm very sympathetic to Rich. Uh, in his point of view, uh, he thought that if uh, this were to happen, it would be, you know, very bad for Zaz, uh, but very good for the Murdochs. So, uh, uh, you know, because, you know, the Murdochs would presumably, you know, uh, get what they've wanted, which is, you know, a combination of their remaining assets into one company and probably get some sort of decent price from uh, uh, Zaz uh, for what he, you know, he would want. I'm sure he wants... Fox Sports, Greenfield thinks, you know, more sports for for uh, Zaz is ridiculous because the, the the prices have you have to pay for live sports is going through the roof, um, you know, whatever it is, 90, you know, plus 93, 97 of the top 100 shows uh, these days are NFL games. So, right. you know, the prices are just going, you know, exponentially higher and higher. So... As usual, I mean, you know, Rupert is a very smart seller. He obviously, 
got Disney and Comcast to compete against each other to, to buy the Fox Hollywood assets. And, and, you know, Iger is still sort of reeling from that. He bid against uh, Brian Roberts for Sky News and got Brian Roberts to bid up uh, what he was paying for Sky News and before dropping out. And uh, I, I, I know, you know, Brian Roberts kind of regrets that now because he was forced to overpay. So, uh, you know, Rupert's a smart seller. I mean, I think, again, if, you know, Zaz knows he's got to do something. Uh, and, you know, I think he's probably, you know, click, 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 going through his uh, priority list. Uh, you know, if he can't get the ultimate prize, which is NBCU combo, uh, you know, this, and he's not going to do Paramount. This would, th- this would at least, uh, you know, alleviate, I think, a lot of the regulatory issues around uh, you know, merging with Paramount, because then you'd have, you know, CBS to contend with, with uh, CNN or NBCU, you know, you'd have NBC to contend with, with CNN, which I don't think are insurmountable issues, but issues nonetheless. And uh, with, with this, you wouldn't have any of that. I don't, I, don't, I don't really see the combination of Fox Sports with TNT or TBS Sports to be, a, a, you know, a problem from a regulatory point of view. Well, Bill, you know, speaking of that Disney deal where um, you, you made a great point, like Rupert totally sold at the top of the market. He got 71 plus billion dollars for selling those assets to Disney, which they were paid for. But, you know, b- between that and and just the, the chatter that's out there about potentially offloading more of the company to Warner Brothers Discovery, it, it feels like just another reminder that, you know, at the end of the day, Rupert didn't really trust his kids with this thing that he built. I mean, Lachlan is sort of nominally in charge from Sydney, you know, he lives in Sydney, so he- right, right. He he's ru- he's ruling the empire from afar, but it just it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. I mean, it, it seems like you know, there's there's a feeling that uh, Rupert doesn't want to leave this thing and fall to his kids. That in his twilight years, um, he he has been overseeing uh, the sale and deconstruction of it. Well, I mean, uh, uh, that's one way to look at it. I, I think another w- way to look at it is that he's. You know, he's retained, you know, some of the most powerful assets in the media, whether you like their power or not. You do have to acknowledge, you know, the journal is obviously powerful in the business world. And certainly Fox News is uh, powerful, uh, you know, in the broadcast television world. Uh, And so he's retaining both of those. Nobody's talking about those going anywhere. Uh, uh, You know, Hopper Collins is one of the big for publishing houses. Uh, so yes, yes and no. I mean, and if uh, Lachlan, uh, I mean, I think, that, you know, w- of course we all know, you know, and, and this is really kind of exciting and, and thrilling. I mean, but it's probably not a this year event, although it could be, is that when Rupert passes to the great beyond, uh, I'm sure he, like Sumner Redstone, wants to live forever and thinks he might live forever. But when he passes to the great beyond, as we all do, uh, then uh, it'll be up to his, you know, whatever, four grown children to uh, figure out, uh, I believe four uh, grown children to figure out, you know, what happens to the empire and who runs it and whether Lachlan stays in place or, or what happens. Um, and so uh, that remains to be seen. And I think it's at that point uh, that, you know, you know, we'll see what the final denouement of this empire uh, is. And I think, you know, some people have speculated that, that James Murdoch could somehow 
uh, come back and, um, you know, change the whole dynamic of Fox News from what it is to something uh, completely yeah, different. sure. If he if he wins a, a majority of his siblings over to his side, no, I mean right. totally. I mean, there's a possibility for many more twists in store. Whether uh, whether this kind of sale to uh, to Zaslav or somebody else is in the offing, a lot more to come. Bill, got to leave it there. But uh, thanks as always. Appreciate having you on. Thank you, Ben. Always great. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.